Okay, buddy. Nice and simple this time. <clears throat> In a world of Veltima fungicide, five feet reign supreme. Hey, remember? Less dramatic? Five feet. Just... Five feet. Five feet. Nope. Sixty inches. Look, man, just say Veltima fungicide lets you treat corn as early as five feet. Nice. Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming sooner to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions. Hello, folkers. I'm Copper Kelly, and you're welcome to the Folk and Around podcast. Your favourite country music podcast. Now, you might notice Jody's not with me right now. Uh, we couldn't figure out a good time to record. There's lots of things going on. But uh, don't fear, she's still on the podcast. All good that way. Uh, but I'm just going to record this intro to the interview that myself and Jody recorded a few weeks ago where we talked to the singer-songwriter from Dublin, that is Colm Gavin. And we talked about his days busking and fighting for places on the street corner. And, uh, and he has a good few st- uh, stories from that time. And also he has a, a singer, uh, songwriter partnership with a very well-known and renowned songwriter. But we'll, we'll let him tell you about that in the interview. Uh, but before we get to the interview, i just like to ask you, if you want to su- help support the podcast, uh, share and uh, tell your friends, let people know about us. And also we're on buymeacoffee.com. It's a kind of like a, a Patreon alternative where you can just go and give us a few pounds or whatever, or a few euros, as I say, um, if you want to help us support and help us pay the hosting fees and this kind of crack, keep it, keep it up and running. Um, and also just a membership there. So we'll, uh, we'll be adding to that now in the near future. We'll have bonus episodes and a few extra bonus goodies for members. And uh, so basically, yeah, help, help us uh, get this podcast out to people leave a, a review on uh, podcast uh, apps like Apple Music and so on. Uh, but I'll say no more about that kind of uh, shameless promotion. Um, we'll get to the, as, as I say, without further ado, we'll get to the interview. And I'll talk to you after. So we are delighted to be joined um, by the wonderful Colm Gavin. Colm, you're very welcome and thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here at last. I know this is long overdue for the three of us to <laughs> right. meet up and have a bit of a chat. All right, really has. And for anybody that's sort of listening in on the audio or watching through our YouTube, um, anybody that might not have heard of you before or met you before, um, why don't you give yourself a bit of a brief intro? So my name is Colin Gavin. Um, I suppose I studied music through the classical method in the Clondalkin School of Music under the great Peter Stanton. When I was about 15, I, as so many other singer-songwriters did, embarked into the unknown realms and pleasures of busking. I started in the square in Temple Bar, moved up to playing in Grafton Street. I was in a couple of college bands, um, in and out of school, and uh, went solo in 2014. And in uh, September of 2014, I brought out my debut EP, which was called Urenda Slumber, which got to number one in the Irish singer-songwriter charts. And I think beyond that point, I think that was when I kind of came on to... Uh, the wider Irish music populace's radar, well, so to speak. I feel like I covered everything. Like that's the yeah. podcast for today, guys. <laughs> yeah, See you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> it was fun. Oh, that's that's a, a good varied history there. Like you were you're busking on Temple Bar, and I assume you'd have some good stories from your time there. 
Oh, copper. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that I can tell. Um, it was it was an amazing time, but it was a very different time. I, I was 15 in the summer of 2007. I sound like I'm like, back in my day, we had this stuff called coffee and it came in a cup. Um, so the thing is, when you say that, I just feel really old to thinking how old I was in 2007. <laughs> but that's the thing, Jody. Like the time, I don't know where the time goes. But that summer, I remember I, I summoned up the courage to start busking. And the whole idea at the time was just to make enough money so I could go to Freebird Records and buy Beatles CDs yeah, or yeah. Bob Dylan CDs or whatever. So I used to play outside a place called the Eager Beaver. And I don't know the gentleman's name who used to run the place, but he, or even if he did run the place, but he used to work, he was a cashier. And I used to sing just outside the window and God love him. I'd say, listen to me for a few hours. There's enough to push it over the edge. But um, what, now and again, he would leave me a small cup of tea and two cigarettes, two John Player cigarettes, which you wouldn't do today for a 15 year old, but um, or anybody for that matter. But um and we would chat intermittently. And some of the best performance advice I ever got was from him when he said, you're out here playing for everyone except you. That's the whole idea. This isn't to please your ego. This isn't for your enjoyment. When you're on the street, you need to consider everybody except you. So you might love Bob Dylan. You might love Van Morrison. You might love the Beatles, but not every passerby does. And you need to be a little bit more considerate of what the casual listener would appreciate. Mm. And if you do that, you'll start to make money. And sure enough, it started to happen. So the big song of that summer was Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees. Oh, yeah. And I, that was one of the first ones that I learned. You remember that one? Yeah. Um, and people would stop as if by magic. Now, it didn't happen all the time. But it was, it was a very early education in the idea that when you're on the street, busking is the great leveler in that nobody is there to see you. They're just passing by. It's a conveyor belt. And if they stop and if they give you a coin it's validation of some description. So yeah, there's plenty of stories I could tell you, but that's probably the most educational PC one. Yeah. And how was it with everyone else that, that busks as well? Because I obviously haven't gone busking myself, but I've, I've had some experience with um, John Garrity, who's the Belfast busker. And oh, when yeah. he's sort of come right, come over here and things. And what I found amazing, it was, I thought there would be a lot of competitiveness amongst all the people that are busking. Um, because you literally in, in Liverpool, for example, over here, you, you, you can't walk down the street, you know, you do a couple of steps, you're at your next bus going your next one, but they're so respectful of each other. And did you find that as well? Did it, was there a community there like that? Nope. <laughs> no, there really? is. But back then I got Jody, I got swung for more times than I could, I could tell you. I mean, and back then, oh, copper. I mean, back then it was a law into, it's the law of the jungle because nowadays they have performers, um, the little dog tags they were around their neck, um, mm. their licenses, their busking licenses. Back then it was just find a spot, but you could be taking a guy's spot who's been doing it for 25 years and you just don't know yet because you're this yeah. young, scrappy upstart. And I remember one particular week, I don't know if it was that summer, it could have been the following summer, and this guy came around the corner. This again was outside the eager beaver and just started swinging wildly. And I was like, what is going on? And I thought he was trying to rob me. And he was like, what are you doing? This is my spot. Who the are you, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was it was quite terrifying. Nowadays, there's much more of a sense of community. So I totally get what you're saying, Jody. But um, back then, it was the law of the jungle. Now, there's a lot of people who say it wasn't like that. That was my experience. I just, mm. I probably peeved off the wrong people and was stepping on people's toes. But certainly, I feel like today, there's much more of a sense of sharing and much more of a sense of community amongst younger musicians, especially in Dublin, where... Mm. 
there isn't that sense of, here, this is my spot and shove off kind of thing. There's more of a welcoming environment, which certainly when I started out, it wasn't there. And that's got to be, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine from that sort of experience, it means that you can play a gig anywhere now, the roughest of bars or anything, you'll be there, no problem. Oh God. I mean, there was some story, I used to play a regular gig. I don't even know if I can tell this story. I used to play a regular gig of course you can. on the north side, on the north side of Dublin. I won't say where, it was in a hotel. <laughs> and one particular night, there was a darts tournament. Lads who had been playing a darts tournament and they were all staying in this hotel. And my God, Copper, it was... I'm not even going to say what part of the country they were from. It doesn't matter. The point was, it was Bedlam. And my old pal Kyle Roach was doing sound for me this particular night. And he said, if we get out of here without a piece of the equipment broken or one of your bones broken, we'll be doing all right. And there was just such a, there was, I just remember being, now I've had a few like that, but that particularly stands out. And like you were saying, Jody, you go back to that whole busking logic of, okay, how do you appease the masses here? What songs are going to help just keep Keep the spirits high, I suppose, you know. But um, yeah, I think busking, like I said, it's a great leveler. Nobody's there to see you. And you have to deal with everything. You have to deal with potentially being robbed, which thankfully no one ever got away with that. Um, you have to deal with just the good and the bad. Hens parties, stags parties, the casual observer, the guy on the way to the office, uh, the news correspondent, the DJ, all that mm. kind of stuff. Would you do it's it nice. again now, though? If I had my life to live over or if I was to do it tomorrow? No, would you just, you know, if you just, the opportunity, would it just be something you would do, consider? Yeah, like every Christmas I do this thing in Clondalkin. It's called the Kieran Carr Christmas Busk. And what we do is I gather a bunch of Clondalkin musicians together. And we go out mm. into Main Street with our guitars and our banjos and everything and uh, sing for our friend. My friend Kieran Carr passed away in 2012 of sudden adult death syndrome. And his mother and father have set up the Kieran Carr Foundation as a means to let his memory live on, but also to help people who could find themselves in a similar situation. And every Christmas, about two days before Christmas, we all go out into Main Street from Dawkins and about 100 or 200 people show up. They give what they can. And that's what we do. So there are times like I find myself back being the street urchin again. And it's fun. Yeah, It's fun. Does, does it give you like a little bit of a sense of reminding you where you've come from almost? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's important that you have something in your life that grounds you, that reminds you you're never more than a few steps away from being back playing on the street. And it keeps, I think it keeps you sharp too. And how did you progress then from that lively atmosphere of playing on the street in the moment to people then to go into like the studio setting? Uh, how, how did you find that? It, all of these things happened. Like I would have thought Copper when I start busking that these things would happen naturally. And they did. Mm. You'd meet people, you meet like-minded <clears throat> musicians, you get in bands with different people, whether it's cover cover bands or original bands. And I suppose like opportunities just show up, whether it's winning a contest and getting free studio time yeah. or whatever. But I, I think in the beginning, I remember radio sessions were a nightmare because from busking, you get what I call busker's arm and busker's jaw, which is you just shout everything. Because yeah. nowadays they've got like these professional condenser mics and stuff. But back then there was no plug in and play. It was just go out pick a good spot. I used to sing under the awning at the Gaiety at South King Street because that, with the way the sound would travel, it would bounce up and travel out. So yeah. we had kind of a, a little, a uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. 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 So then we you couldn't the hide. Studio. You had to just properly use the voice no. though. Yeah. Mm. So you had to rein it back in then. Yeah. You had to rein it yeah. back in into, in the studio setting. 
So you released your what your first EP when was it twenty sixteen? You said two thousand fourteen. Yeah, that was my first year that I went solo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you start writing uh, and your own songs and then and kept going that way. Writing my own songs and going that way. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. um, yeah, pretty much. Like I'd been in bands up until that point, but being in a band is like everything has to go before committee, as you know. Mm-hmm. And it, when you're solo you can at least make the decision that, okay, well, I at least don't have to go to five other people and say, what do we think of this song? And then you get three who say, I like it. And two who say, oh, it sounds a little bit too much, like whatever, yeah. which can be a nightmare, you know, from a creative standpoint. So going solo was was liberating to say the least copper. Yeah. yeah. And the songwriting um, part of it, when, when did that come in? Is it something you've always been into? Have you always been somebody that would scribble things down and not know what to do with them? Or what was your process like? I was about 15. Myself and the family went on this holiday to a place called Delphi. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's, it's an adventure center between Mayo and Galway. And they, you do things like kayaking, rock climbing, and you know that thing where they tie the bungee cord to you, zip lines, all that type of stuff. Wow. And I was, I was 15 and like, I loved Arthur Rimbaud and French surrealist poets. And he just started to smoke. I probably thought I was way cooler. Than I, I know I, I thought I was way cooler than I was. But I brought these books of poetry and I would just like, I'd be like, you go and do all that. So if I'm going to sit in my room and brood over these lines that I've written. And I used to go for these long walks in the hills. This is truth. This is actually, that's how sad I was. Um, I used to go for these long walks in the hills and I would read like Dylan Thomas. And um, I just got really into this idea. And I, I remember I brought my guitar down that summer. And uh, I got really into this idea of what is the structure of a song? What goes into making it like first, first chorus, middle eight, chorus, end or whatever. And I just studied the records of people like Leonard Cohen and the Beatles, Jackson Brown, Warren Zevon, um, oh God, the Eagles. And was just fascinated. And I would write out like, so Lion Eyes, you know, how does it go? Where's the, you know, there's no middle eight in Lion Eyes, but there is one in Doctor My Eyes by Jackson Brown. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. And yeah. you just kind of compare and contrast. And like a lot of everything I was writing back then was crap, but it was just because I think in the beginning, you're just a copyist. You're just figuring mm-hmm. out what is songwriting. And then once you start to find your comfort zone, you apply your, your own stamp to the limits of your own creativity, I think. Do you ever go back to those things that you wrote and just sort of like, would you pick them up now and see if there's anything there hiding? <laughs> I can't even look at them, Jody. I can't. Really? I've, I've tried, like, and I know, I still know in my 15 year old head what those melodies were. And I, I have to, like, throw the guitar in the corner. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like I just can't even look at them. Yeah. I remember one of the first songs I wrote was like, uh, it's like almost like a boy band song. It was called Safari of Love. And I was oh like, when God. I was about 10. So I could never want to, never want to resurface that again. <laughs> Isn't it so funny that the word love, because yeah. one of the first ones I wrote was called This I Love. And it was about, rush into a hospital to find that the love of your life had just passed away. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't even think about That's it. That's a know? strong um, topic. For it's like a... positive topics. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's like, you see, in my head, that's as close as I could get to tears in heaven. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Yes. Yeah. Captain, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And obviously um, you've continued on with your songwriting and great, great success with that. So um, what's happening at the moment with the, with you and your music? So, one it like in the last year or so, probably the most formidable co-writing partnership that I've established is with Charlie McGettigan. And mm-hmm. myself and Charlie, at the beginning of lockdown, about three weeks into it, when people tell these stories and they say, 
oh, he just rang one day. I'm like, he did all right, yeah. <laughs> but genuinely, I remember it was, the t- I specifically remember the date because I'd brought out this home recorded EP on the 24th of April. He sent me a message that morning and he said, if you fancy writing some songs together, that'd be great. So from that day on, that week on, and that was a Friday. And obviously at this point, we need to remind people who don't know who Charlie is. So Charlie McGettigan, uh, I know this is one of Jody's favorite songs, so I'm tying this around. Um, (laughs) Charlie McGettigan in 1994 won the Eurovision with Paul Harrington with the song Rock and Roll Kids. And Charlie's known for other songs like Bed for the Night and Feet of a Dancer. But he's a mainstay in terms of Irish, just Irish performers and songwriters. And he got in touch with me and said, look, if you would like to write some songs, that'd be great. So he sent me two ideas and he was like, did you hesitate at that point or was it an instant? Yes. (laughs) Oh, no, I was like, yes. But but there is that part of me that's like, this is Charlie McGettigan. Like in terms of, there's some people, you think of Shane McGowan, Phil Linnett, Glenn Hansard, Mm -hmm. Charlie McGettigan, you know, names who they will forever just be in the echelons of the great Mm -hmm. Irish singer-songwriters performers. And one of them is just after sending you a message to say, what have you got? So he sent me these two ideas. It was two verse ideas. One was called Nursery Rhymes and the other was called Bird of Passage. And Bird of Passage was kind of about what we were all going through. Um, just let the Bird of Passage take you in its wings. Listen to the message. There's a message in these things. It was about the idea of, we thought the pandemic was going to be like a three week, you know, blow we up. Were so, we were so sweet, weren't we? Like, oh, we'll so just naive. stay home, bake bread. <laughs> so naive. And then you were fecking the loaves of bread at one another around there. <laughs> but um, no, he, so that's been like my most prolific writing relationship. I mean, to the point where we, we were writing three songs a week for the last year. And it's been about wow. a year, almost a year now. And um, how I've kind of come to the country scene is in a weird roundabout way. Because mm. through Charlie, there's a couple of people on the country scene who were interested in recording songs that we'd written. But also then that has brought my music to the attention of other country artists who now are looking at my back catalogue and saying, okay, well, what's this guy got here? Mm -hmm. So I'm learning names now. I'm understanding the gravity of the country scene. And like every day it blows my mind because I'm like, (laughs) it's this monstrosity of a huge enterprise that although I was very aware of, Mm -hmm. um, I never looked at it like kind of, when you see how, I, I, I watched a couple of your podcasts and I was watching you talk to Chantel Padden mm. and the level of focus and discipline and directness and it's like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and then they do it. Mm. It just blows my mind. And I think like, it, and there's so much of that on the country scene that mm. it's just palpable, you know, it really is. So were you not somebody that obviously grew up going to the dances and like, have you been to one of the country music dances? No, to my to my shame, oh. I haven't. But I would. Uh, Cop has only been to one, so that's it. I'm going to drag you both, and <laughs> so you can't jive even. Oh, you probably give it a go, but I mean, I got two left <laughs> feet, you know. <laughs> Why? What am I missing out on, Jody? Give me a bit of. Give me the lowdown. I mean, it's an. I mean, obviously, I I didn't grow up in Ireland. Um, my family are Irish, and we would spend summers and hol- any sort of school holidays over in Ireland. But for the Irish country community. Mm-hmm. The dances are, I mean, they're wild, aren't they, Copper? You went to see Stuart Moyles, was it you went to see? Yeah. yeah and you yeah. just, you were terrified, weren't you? You nearly get knocked out if you stood in the wrong place, I'd say. Are you serious, Copper? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very the, passionate about the dancing and the moves. Yeah, they're and, swinging around like business. And if you're not business. doing the dances correctly and, and things, I mean, I go and I just have a laugh with it all and I, you know, try and have fun and things. But 
some people are really, really passionate and, and that's their life. It's their whole life. Every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and in an afternoon, they have a family dance as well. It's a, it's a whole other world. We'll have to take but you. <laughs> but it's not, it's not aggro, I assume. No. No. Oh, no, no, no. no. Okay. It's not like well, a mosh, mosh pit, although I'd nearly feel safer in a mosh pit. But uh. <laughs> it's kind of where I thought you were going with that copper. I was like, I don't ever want to go to one of these things if that's what it's like. No, but there's there's also there's a devoutness with country fans too, and you Definitely, often yeah. see on on some like uh, certain people's videos where people will say, you know, that's not traditional country. You're mixing that too much for like mm. American rock and roll. There's some real purists, which like some people give that idea stick. I like it because I don't mm. think there's an awful lot left. There's very few genres except maybe jazz, where people would call you out. And say, oh, come on, like you know that that's not a straight country song, or yeah. um, by straight country song I mean that's taken more influence from say jazz or blues or R and B and that kind of thing, and um, mm-hmm. which is fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think it's interesting that even on the Irish scene, that there's still these purists who are like, mm, no, right, that's yeah. not quite, that's not quite that authentic. Very interesting. Oh yeah, and oh, people almost. don't like it if somebody releases just a pop record. It's like, oh no, that's it. They're not allowed back in the country scene now. They've mm. they've left us, and it's. It's straight. It's wild. It really is. It reminds me a lot of like, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. And in 1965, when he turned electric at Newport Folk Festival, and he was literally, it was like, that's it. You're gone. Almost like a riot. It's like, what are you doing with that electric guitar? It's unbelievable. And like, I feel, but that's, it's kind of cool. That's still there. Mm. Kind of like like Music has to keep evolving. You have to, so you have to take influences from different genres and kind of evolve and improve all the time. And if it's just kind of, if it's stayed one way for decades, then it's kind of going to get stale and uh, have to evolve. But like, I suppose, what would you describe your genre of music as being? Because I could say you're kind of folky rock and roll, but what would you describe yourself? It's kind of hard, hard to pinpoint you, even though it's not necessarily the best thing in the world to pinpoint a genre. But what would you say sure. yourself? It's tricky because yes. I was hugely influenced by um, growing up. And with my music teacher, I was very much influenced by the great American songbooks. So people like Jerome Kern, George and Ira Gershwin, um, the, like the music of the 1920s and 30s. So jazz and swing and ragtime and that kind of stuff. But I think at the heart of what I do, when it when it all comes out, or at least the music that I've released, you could probably describe as like folk alt country. Like there's yeah. definitely on my debut album, there's definitely, there's songs like Honey Bee and Something's Missing mm-hmm. that are like, straight out of the Merle Haggard nice, influence yeah. book. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's probably uh, the best way to describe it. You've already answered part of this, but obviously you've got all these new songs that um, have been written over lockdown. What mm-hmm. is the plan for those? Are they for other people? Are you going to be doing another album? So some of them will be for other people. Like there's some, Charlie regularly, Jody will get people who'd be like, have you got some songs for me? From different people. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly on the country scene, which I find interesting. And Any names you can name? Oh, I thought about this before <laughs> I came on, right? And I thought, this is going to be the thing where the guy is about to sign the contract and he's like, damn that Gavin fella, I'm not going to do it. You know. So, um, so I'm just kind of afraid. You know when people say... You can tell us off got, camera, it's fine. Yeah. I'll tell you off camera, yeah. Like, you know when people say, I've got this really exciting stuff coming up, but I can't tell, like, tell you about it. I used to think, of course you can. But this is where, because there's more than just me, I yeah. would be a little bit reluctant to. But yeah. there are a few, and they're, they're, I know their names that you know. So, um, it's not Copy Kelly, is it? <laughs> Hush, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> 
got to keep some things to surprise you. <laughs> but um, no, myself and Charlie at some point in the year will release an EP of the songs recorded by ourselves as well. So like yeah. maybe five or six of the songs that we particularly like or we're fond of. And, um, and I've got an EP of my own tunes coming out at the end of May called The 1992 Tapes. And it's just me and an upright piano. And that's it. So it's a vocal piano record, five songs. Mm. That'll be at the end of May. Yeah. And was that recorded during lockdown? It hasn't been recorded yet. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> mm. So I love, I love this idea, the John Lennon idea of recorded on the Monday, bring it out on the Friday. Now, it's not going to be that close, but at the end of April, I'll be recording the last three songs on it and it'll come out in the end of May. Wow. Oh you're saying you're kind of, you're outside of your, you can't get to the studio at the moment. You're kind of outside of the, the 5km limit, but you've been, you've been at home writing, writing furiously anyway, and card and vice mem- memos and that kind of stuff, keeping going anyway. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it, nothing, the big thing at the moment that people all complain about, or complain about, but kind of empathize with is the idea that there's no live gigs, which is mm. brutal. And it's almost come to the point where, this is the longest period in my adult life where I've not gigged, but it's been the longest period of prolonged writing and collaboration and podcasts and interviews mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So in a way, all of this stuff has to happen. I'm trying to look at it as positively as possible, yeah. but all of this stuff has to happen at some point anyway. So it might as well all happen in one prolonged burst and then have a couple of years of just riding that creativity. But do you remember what a gig is and what to do when you get to a gig and things? Uh, kind of. <laughs> I know, I probably forget how to work a PA system at this stage, but yeah, yeah, put, putting a set list together, I think I could still do. <laughs> well, I think at this point is where we will turn over to Copper's Corner. Ah, yes. um, so we will get Copper to get his pipe out and sit down for a story is what it sounds like we're going to be doing. <laughs> I must still have to source myself a, a pipe. I must get myself on. Uh, I must be on eBay after this or something. But, awesome, uh, yes, Come join me in my corner here and ask you a few kind of random questions, but You've listened to the podcast already, so you kind of know what to expect, I think. Uh, but tell me, what was your first CD that you ever bought? When you were busking and earning your, your, your coppers <laughs> and getting in and into the Tower Records or wherever you were going? I think it was Bob Dylan Unplugged yeah, or Blood on the Tracks, one or the other. Yeah. Hard there to pin it down, but it was definitely one of those two. Yeah. So he's a big influence on you, obviously, in your songwriting style. But the biggest... The biggest, yeah, biggest, yeah, far and away. He would have been the reason that I ever picked up a guitar copper, you know? Ah, perfect, wow. perfect. And uh, if you were to have a dinner and you were to uh, invite some guests, three guests, dead or alive, anytime throughout history, who would you uh, who would you invite and why? Jody Lucas, Copper Kelly. <laughs> and uh, I like that I was first. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first now to invite us. Fair play. <laughs> Really? No one has done that before? No. 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 To be fair, no, Tina no. Depart, and when I said that, she said that she knows I don't need an invite and I just turn up whenever I like to. <laughs> I know. It's nice to be invited as well. But who who's the third one? Who are your real three now? Charlie McGettigan. Charlie McGettigan. Ah, fair enough. Who fair are enough. my real three? Um, yeah. So alive or dead? They don't alive have or be... dead? Um, it could be King Tutankhamun if you want. I would love to sit down with like some of the surrealist painters. So like, like Dali. Pablo Picasso, Dali. Yeah. Yes, Salvador yes. Dali, Pablo Picasso, um, and maybe like one of the French surrealist writers like André Breton, Louis Aragon, people like that. Mm. I think that'd be amazing. Just to, because, or people like James Joyce or Beckett, yes. you know, figures who 
there isn't anyone who's even alive now that has the connection to that time. Do you know what I mean? Who would have known yeah. them or that kind of thing? You know, that'd be really cool. That'd be cool. Wow. Absolutely. And uh, if we were to have a karaoke night and, you know, we had a few pints in us and we're having a great time and you're handed the microphone, what would be the first yeah. song that you'd sing? Oh, probably Sweet Caroline or something. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine everyone so. going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's when my own personal taste goes out the window and you just have to, you know, sing whatever feels appropriate. Yeah. 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 And obviously you're, you're full on into the music and songwriting. But if that wasn't a part of your life, for whatever reason, what would you think you'd be doing? Probably be a doctor. A doctor. Wow. I don't know. I don't know why, but I've always found like the doctors in my life, not that there have been many, but my GP when I was younger, Declan Herbert, was just the most reassure, reassuring, life-affirming man. And I feel like people who, when they can be that, it's an incredible gift to be and to be involved with medicine that makes people better, whether it's even yeah. something just like eczema, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I think it's an incredible, incredible thing. So probably that, like, I think if I hadn't, if I was the type who would have been pushed by what my folks would have said, I would have been too afraid to do something creative and I would have got into something mm -hmm. like, do you know, like a proper job, yeah, yeah. yeah, like being a doctor or a lawyer, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but doctor probably, yeah. That's, wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what was the last gig that you went to that you actually bought? A ticket for and went to before you couldn't go to gigs anymore. The last gig, it was kind of a combination because I supported Keela on the 7th of March, but it was also the last gig I was at because I watched their set ah, on the side of the stage okay. afterwards. So it was, a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a combination of the two. Um, yeah, feels like but a What did you last buy a ticket for? Oh, um, like a big thing, like yeah. in the National Concert Hall, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. I go to that many and that, you know, you're never conscious of these things until it stops. And with mm. lockdown and quarantine and all that type of stuff, it wasn't like anybody was counting up until that point. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, boom. So I can't actually remember, but we'll say Keela. Okay, that's fair enough. And I suppose my uh, last question uh, you might have been expecting this one, but do you have any ghost stories for us? Ghost stories? Um, <laughs> there's an Irish cultural centre in the centre of Clondalkin. That's It's definitely over 100 years old anyway. And I remember that that's where the Keela gig was. Like they host a lot of gigs. There's a the big holla to the end of the, the building. And um, they they say that there's a couple of ghouls that haunt the place but I have been in there late at night I've never seen anything by god it's, so it's an old mansion house and you hear doors banging and mops falling over and all this type of stuff it is a little bit spooky but I've never I've never come face to face with something oh, okay. what would you thank, do if you god. did I don't know <laughs> I don't know whether it fighter fighter cup would be flying at, at it <laughs> it's just just one of those things you know um, have you guys got any good ghost stories Copper's the one. Copper loves the ghost stories, don't you, Copper? You you used to work in a haunted house, didn't you? I did. I used to work in Loftus Hall down here in Wexford. Wow. Uh, have you heard of that place? Wow. Have you? Yeah. 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 So I was working there for Jeez. nearly a year, I suppose. And I've had things where doors closed on me and things like that. I have a, yeah. there's a whole story. I won't go into it now. It kind of, it's a bit long, but it's You've an got a whole episode one. that's just it's his story, episode. to be fair, haven't you? <laughs> but it's, still, it's the only, I suppose, the only supernatural experience I've had. And I was there for nearly a year in the dark at night on my own. All this kind of stuff, but just one time is in the middle of the day and these two doors start, you know, these doors start slamming at like precise moments and they kind of did it a few times. 
you know, say, I'll say no more. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting and, one. And there's nothing you can attribute it to other Not than... Really. Wow. No, no. But I, he yeah. did what I wouldn't do and you went running towards the noise, yeah, didn't I you? Whereas I would be running the there. opposite way. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably run towards it too. Just out of pure curiosity, I'd have yeah. to. So know? I was like, kind of yeah. mad to experience something. Like, you know, I'm working in this haunted house. You know, that's the best opportunity you're going to get to see anything if there is anything. So I was kind of, hey, crap, there is something. Maybe I'll go and see what it is. <laughs> and <laughs> are, investigate. You, are you copper by birth or is it because you're involved with the police? Ah, yeah, oh no, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a, yeah, it's a, it's an old uh, a, a moniker I took upon myself, I suppose you could say. You can tell this actually. We've never told the story on the podcast. Tell the story. So here we go. Tell the story of how the name Copper Kelly came to be, because I know you've only done this in one interview, and you did oh, it on a newspaper actually. interview. Was it the Sunday <laughs> World? No, it was the Irish World. The Irish World, the paper, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, you, you I, told I was this. In, it's not, you know, it's a story. Sorry, but it's, I, I was built in, it up uh, now, haven't I? <laughs> you have, yeah. Go for a copper. And We're all it's, friends it's here. Suddenly, be a the podcast about me. But um, <laughs> I was in Edinburgh with a few mates, and I was thinking this is a good few years ago. And I was thinking, lads, I'm thinking of doing this, uh, you know, this music thing, you know, properly. Have a good go at it. But I'm not, I'm not happy with my own name. It's a bit boring. It's you know, ah, I won't even say it. You'll forget it in two seconds. But um, we'll tell you I, off camera. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I said to me, mate, uh, yeah, we'll take a, make up a, you know some sort of stage name, or whatever. And he goes, oh, I used to what's your porn star name generator? So the name of your first pet and your mother's maiden name, um, Copper <laughs> Kelly. That's it. <laughs> Done in two two seconds. Name and it's stuck. <laughs> and but then you get Cooper Kelly a lot, don't you? Yeah, Cooper. People don't get the copper part, and they think Cooper and. And I call you Coops, which really annoys you. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the States, because Cooper is such a common first name. But really? I thought maybe it was like a Machine Gun Kelly reference. And that, ah, like yeah. maybe in a period in your life you spent in the army. That's and um, <laughs> Copper was like your, you know, like your flight, like Maverick, like your flight name. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that could be my, my story from, from now on, I suppose. You can tell it from now on like that, <laughs> Copper, yeah. yeah. Yeah, try and build it up a bit. That's it. But Joe, do you have any more questions before we round out? So I think just just to sort of finish off, obviously you're saying that you've got some um, new stuff coming out um, end of March, all being well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I presume people can find all of that on your social. So where can people find you? Not your so, address. We don't want people turning up at the house. Oh, no, the door. The yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we've had issues like that before, so we're trying to avoid that kind of thing. Um, no, so Column Gavin Music on Facebook is usually a good go-to, but Instagram is probably where I'm most active at the moment. So just Column Gavin, all one word on Instagram. That's usually a good go-to spot. So somewhere between the end of May, that that'll be my record at the end of May, and then somewhere in the summer, myself and Charlie will get together whenever lockdown permits it and get in the studio and record some of these songs which I'm really looking forward to but um because he's just he's just such, like he's one of those guys who they say don't meet your heroes he's the most honest straight ahead kind giving of his time well-rounded have you managed to meet in person through this no never wow in a year yeah, yeah. it's so weird it's so much Jody to the point we've never even spoken on the phone oh it's all text Mm. Yeah. Mm. How do you know it's him? <laughs> oh no, it's him. It's him. In fact, it, what's what's nice about it is a lot of what he's done too. Like I said earlier, has kind of opened up my music to a kind of a different world because he, mm. like he's been on with um, Marty Morrissey and Ryan Tuberty, and he'll always drop the name and say, you know, mm. I'm working with the young fellow called Colin Gavin at the moment, and we're writing some songs together. So he's been like he's been unbelievably supportive, and yeah, um, 
Yeah. Very cool. Oh, amazing. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. And hope, I was going to say, hopefully you could introduce me one day, but you haven't met him yourself yet. So. Well, maybe the day I meet him, you'll just happen to be there. I'll just all turn, long time. I, I could come and host it for you, the meeting. <laughs> this is, this is my agent, Jodie Lucas. She's brought my career to otherworldly brilliant places. And here we are. Okay. So I'd go, I'd go to the opening of anything. Somebody said to me once, Jodie would go to the opening of an envelope if she was invited. And I was like, yes, I would. Because I think you should say yes to everything because you never know. I think, yeah, I think at the moment anybody would, you know, go to the opening of a packet of biscuits at this stage because it's been so long since we've been out to do anything, you know. Mm. So uh, I think that completes uh, our episode with Colm Gavin. Uh, we will link, obviously, all your socials and where they can find your music and everything underneath. But um, from me and Copper, that was uh, very, very enjoyable to learn a bit more yes. about you, Colm. Thank you very uh, much for coming on, Colm. Hopefully you'll come back one day and uh, we can talk about everything else that you've been doing since now and we'll be having a bit more of an exciting life than we're living right now. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure. Jody Copper, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk, to talk with you. Pleasure. Thanks. Thank we'll you. talk to you again soon, hopefully. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, guys. Take care. And you. So that was our chat with Colm Gavin. Very interesting conversation. And uh, I think there's going to be great things to come from his songwriting partnership uh, that he told us about. Uh, but I suppose this week, since I'm on my own for the intro and outro, we have no hot track of the week or whatever. What do they call it? Single of the week, I think we call it. Um, so we'll get to that again next week when Jody's back. Uh, but if you want to follow us on those socials and see what we're up to, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those good places. Just search uh, Copper Kelly Music and you can find my website, copperkelly.com. Um, also have, I have music on Spotify, iTunes, all those good places. And you can find Jody on uh, Instagram and Facebook and all those places as well. It's Welcome to Jody Land. And on Twitter, it's Welcome to Jody. And of course, the podcast. You can find us Focus Around Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, let us know. Uh, what you'd like to see from us in the future, I suppose. If you have any uh, email or any messages for us, you can always email us on folkandroundpodcast at gmail.com. We're nice and easy to get in contact to it. Uh, so don't be afraid to let us know what you're thinking or uh, what you'd like to hear from us in the future. Um, but for now, I suppose I'll let you know our interview next week is with a young singer called Jamie Donnelly. And it's, it was a great conversation we recorded there a few weeks ago and uh, really looking forward to putting that out. And oh, you might know us as well. We're going to start releasing our episodes on a Monday morning instead of Friday. It just seems to be a better kind of a better time for podcasts to go out in general, I think. And uh, the YouTube video will be up on a Monday evening then. Uh, but yeah, that's the podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you next time. But for now, bye, fuckers. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. 
Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM. Available to stream now at classicalweta.org or on the Classical WETA app.